You can turn your Bibles here uh, this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, I believe the Holy Ghost has laid on my heart to to just encourage us in prayer. And as I said, I don't know how long we'll go down this line, but uh, perhaps we ought to just set our heart to to get that breakthrough or else. Amen. And just cling to the horns of the altar until we get an answer from God. And I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And I know the pulpit is to give us direction. And so I am um, attentively trying to hear what God would have us to say or what He would have me to say and uh, the direction that we're to take here. But uh, turn there in the New Testament to First Timothy chapter 2. I trust this word here this morning will uh, strengthen and convict us and encourage us to draw nigh to God. You know, it's rare to see true, lasting moral change within a marriage, within a family, uh, even within a church, without at the very least affecting those in spiritual authority, those who are in leadership. You know, too often we begin at the bottom where everything must be forced upward, when in fact we should focus on the top where influence can trickle down naturally. And so it is, if a genuine breakthrough in prayer is to be realized amongst us, it must, by necessity, begin with the men. Reading here out of First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 first, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Now skip down to verse 8 of the same chapter, verse 8. And this is where we'll take our text, where we'll concentrate here this morning. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I thought here this morning, men are obligated to pray. Men are obligated to pray. Father, we need your word here this morning. Lord, I ask that you would touch me and anoint me to speak as your oracle, Father, that our ears would be open to hear, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, that you would draw us unto yourself, that you would convict us. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see, Lord, we pray for eyes, that we might see our great need, and Lord, that we may be compelled to seek you while you may be found. We ask it in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. That men had quit praying in the Apostle Paul's day, we cannot certainly or absolutely affirm. However, in this hour, the want of prayer is obvious even to the most casual observer. Prayer requires time, and men today are far too busy, they say, to pray. Prayer also demands discipline. Unfortunately, unfortunately, contemporary men are given to business, They're given to pleasure. They're given to the affairs of this life, but rarely display such consecration or equal 
or more consecration to God. Thus, there are few men in this hour who dedicate themselves to a life of serious prayer. And so the lofty and holy ministry of prayer, which is our first call in ministry as a Christian, to minister unto him and to know and to walk with Jesus. So this lofty and holy ministry of prayer is a hurried, petty, starved, and beggarly affair with most men. However, in our text, the apostle unequivocally lays a moral levy on men who refuse to fulfill their responsibility to pray. In fact, according to our text, men praying is the apostle's remedy from problems ranging from the pulpit to the pew, from politics to the front porch. Indeed, if men refuse to pray, according to our text, a quiet and peaceable life lived in all godliness and honesty would seem most unlikely. And you know, in these turbulent times, which may be described as anything but quiet and peaceable, perhaps we need to take note, amen, that prayer is perhaps the most needful thing in this hour. This morning, amen, may the Spirit of God use this text to awaken us as men to not only our duty but our privilege, amen, to set the tone in prayer. And this is the first thing I believe the Holy Ghost wants to tell us here at Consuming Fire Fellowship in this month of prayer and fasting. Amen. Men, we are to set the spiritual tone here. We are to be men of prayer, and it is our obligation, it is our responsibility, and we are to willingly take it up, amen, lest spiritual death overtake us. We're just going to look at this one verse and see what the Holy Ghost wants to say to us here this morning through it. The first thing we see is this call, this responsibility, this moral obligation. It is no mere preference or option. No, no. It is a command. Men are commanded to pray. I as a man, aside from my calling as a pastor, amen, I am called to pray. Amen. Men, you are called to pray. It is a command. I will, therefore, that men pray. This is not merely merely the apostle. This is the apostle inspired by the Holy Ghost. His will represents God's will. The Holy Ghost inspired him to say, I will, therefore, that men pray. The directive is very definite. It is very classified. God's will is that men pray. The fact that men are specifically commanded, seriously charged, and warmly exhorted to pray is notable. Amen. Now, if you just take a casual uh, examination of this chapter, it reveals that in the second half there, women are given a general exhortation as well. But it's the men who the apostle singles out regarding the topic of prayer. Amen. Why do you believe that's so? Do you believe that women uh, don't have the obligation and the privilege uh, in the ministry of prayer? Not at all. I believe that women are called to pray as well. But I believe that the men are to lead. Amen. Men are to be spiritually assertive in the church. And we are to set the spiritual tone. And I believe that's what the Spirit of God 
is seeking, first of all, to communicate to his here. He wants to deal with the men, the leadership first. If the leadership is not dealt with properly, amen, the chances are that regardless of what, you know, uh, ground we may take, if the women and the children take ground, I'm not suggesting they have to backslide or they have to give up spiritual progress. But if the men don't take hold of God first, then generally speaking, very little lasting work will be accomplished. Perhaps, though, it was because, like today, men were averse or indifferent to their duty and their privilege to pray. It may be that they deemed prayer a small thing and gave it neither time, value, or significance. Amen. Maybe they were like a lot of people today who like to talk about prayer, who, who like to talk about revival, but didn't like to practice the things that bring revival. It may be, amen, that they, uh, you know, overlooked, they were negligent, amen, in their duty to pray. So the Spirit of God was addressing the issue. And perhaps I believe that's why the Spirit of God is addressing the issue here in our midst this morning. Amen. Our text is clear. God would have all men to pray. What could be more important? What could be more urgent, amen, than this command and this call to prayer? Prayer is the mightiest agent to advance the work of God. Amen. It could be said that only praying hearts and praying hands can accomplish God's end. Mr. Wesley said God does nothing except in response to believing prayer and everything with it. Amen. Prayer succeeds when all else fails. Amen. They can oppose our preaching. They can persecute us. They can cut our tongues out. Amen. They can put us in prison. They can stop almost every spiritual work, at least in the natural and at least temporarily. But they cannot stop us from praying. Their inter- our intercession cannot be stopped by the world nor the devil unless we choose to be stopped. God's greatest glory and man's highest good are secured by prayer, said Mr. Bounds. Prayer has won great battles, secured impossible victories, and rescued the saints of God when every other hope is gone. Amen. Testimony after testimony all over the pages of Scripture. Not only that, through, amen, the annals of church history, we see it time and time again. The victory won on the knees. And our own experience, amen, in the history that we have with God, of those we know, those that we've labored with and toiled with, those that we've seen and observed in our own Christian experience, time and time and time again, the Holy Ghost has pointed us to the altar as the answer to almost every dilemma we face. We've seen it time and time again. Prayer has won the great battles, secured impossible victories, rescued saints almost at every turn. So the apostle under divine inspiration, he lifts up the subject into prominence and he presses its importance on the male conscience. Men. Amen. Men as distinguished from women. Men in their God-ordained strength. Men in submission to their heavenly call. 
You are to lead. You are to lead your marriages. You are to lead your families. You are to lead in your local churches. You are to lead in the ministry of prayer. It is a moral obligation that you be spiritual. And you cannot, we cannot be spiritual apart from the ministry of prayer. Thus, men, it's vastly important for you and I to understand there is this absolute, this specific command, this imperative necessity that we pray. We must pray. The first of beings, man, should likewise be first in prayer. As men, spiritual men, we must embrace this as a moral priority. In fact, if we don't gain the victory here, we really shouldn't move forward in any way. This is essential. In other words, it must be or else. It must be or else. And if we believe that, then ultimately we are going to hunker down and take it serious. As the great missionary Henry Martin once said, if there be anything I do, if there be anything I leave undone, Let me be perfect in prayer. After all, whatever God may appoint, prayer is the great thing. Oh, that I may be a man of prayer. Hence, if we fail in our call to habitual, overcoming, prevailing prayer, if we do not lead the way in genuine communion with God, meaning that we truly touch God, We break through, amen, to that place where we know that God is, that we have fellowshiped with Him, that we have walked in intimacy with Him, that we have received the will and the mind of God for right now, for the situation, for the battle at hand. If we fail to do this, amen, then we have not been the spiritual leaders to our wives, to our children, and the younger brethren that we must be. Amen. Because this is the order of God. And unless we do it, no one else is going to do it. Amen. It's going to stop everything. It's going to bring spiritual stagnation. And the Spirit of God is going to time and time and time again bring this to our conscience. So we either hear it or we harden ourselves that we hear no more. See, we must. Amen. Pray. We must pray. It's not an option. If we do not lead the way in this spiritual call to know the Lord Jesus Christ and walk with Him, we have no excuse. Remember, Jesus spoke the parable of the unjust judge to remind us that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, we also need to recognize that if God commands us to pray, amen, then if we will believe Him, amen, if we will take hold, amen, to the promises of God, if we will press in, amen, then He will answer us with grace. He will pour out His Spirit upon us, and He will help us. Amen. We must not say, amen, that we cannot pray. We cannot shuck our responsibility by assuming we are better, 
at other spiritual endeavors. We must not say we are more suited for other spiritual exercises. Amen. First of all, because that's an utter lie. Amen. Because if we're not victorious in prayer, we are not victorious in anything else spiritual. Amen. And secondly, because that's no valid excuse anyway, we're commanded to pray. Men who insist they are strong in one spiritual grace must, by biblical logic, be strong in prayer. Amen. If I, how can I say that I'm living holy and living free from sin? Amen. If I am not consistently seeking Him who gives grace to live, if I'm not full of the spirit of holiness, how can I say that I'm living holy? How can I say I'm strong in holiness if I am weak in prayer? How can I declare that I'm led by the Spirit of God if I refuse to hear His dictate bow at the altar? How can I say that I preach under the anointing with an anointing consistently if I refuse to seek the God of the anointing? How can I say that I truly, rightly, and wholly discern error if I'm not seeking the mind of God? It's inconsistent. No doubt, praying women and praying children are invaluable to God as well. However, if their praying is not supplemented by praying men, there will be a great loss in the corporate power of prayer. Amen. You see, listen to me. Well, I, I, every one of you uh, 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 children and the women here, of course you have an obligation to pray. Amen. But if we're going to have a move of God's Spirit here, if we're going to have revival as it were, amen, the men are going to have to take spiritual responsibility, amen, for the spiritual state of this local assembly corporately. And we are going to have to take hold of God by faith. We're going to have to get our eyes off of one another. In fact, I'm preaching this to you today, and I'm preaching it to me as well. Amen. But the only reason I'm even preaching it, because I'm the pastor, and I've got to preach it. But really, listen to me. Right now, I don't want to really worry. I want to, I want to concentrate. Amen. On Christ myself. I want to press hold. I want to take hold of God. I need God. I need to find God. I need the Holy Ghost. I need to be baptized fresh. Get your eyes off one another and get your eyes on Jesus. Be responsible for your own spiritual state. Amen. You see, God, He commands that we pray. You see, young men, some of you young men here that are maturing into men, you need to know that fervent prayer is the gateway into a mature and robust spirituality. You will never be the man that God called you to be if you're not a man of prayer. If you're not a man of prayer. And really listen to me. You young men growing up, uh, trans, uh, transforming, amen, into young manhood, there should be a zeal amongst you, amen.
There should be a pressing in. You need to take responsibility for your stuff. No, you're no longer children. And God is not looking to you, amen, to act like a child. He's looking for you to play the man, amen, to rise up and to take hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, how often have we heard the stories of uh, young people in a local church that have stirred the older saints of God by their zeal? I can remember the church that uh, you know I was discipled in and this is before I even got there but uh, there was one young man who wasn't raised in church he'd gotten born again uh, through the ministry there I think he just visited church and he began to really pray and really depressed and really got saved really got filled with the Holy Ghost and he was about 15 years old 16 years old and he went to the the, the public school there in Baton Rouge and he began to pr- uh, preach and began to testify began to witness and as he, the more he sought God it was like the word of God was a fire shut up inside of his bones he didn't have the books to read hey man as far as I know he didn't know very much but he'd go in the classroom and they'd say something against the Word of God or something that he, you know, would be grieved, the Spirit of God would be grieved with inside of his heart. He'd raise his hand and stand up and say, Teacher, amen, I just want to show you what the Bible says. And as he began to testify and preach, amen, different ones began to visit church. And before long, there were 20, 25 of them. I don't remember how many, but there were several people in his high school that got saved, and they all began to go to the church and uh you know, they didn't know, none of their parents are right with God. These were all 14, 15, 16, 17 year old people that just got born again because of this one young man that began to preach and testify. Uh, it was said, I heard that they'd go into the cafeteria and they'd all eat and they'd stand up and pray and lift their hands and they'd sing Amazing Grace and they were stirring the whole school up and uh, it came to the end of the year and uh, they had a big uh, party out at Thunderbird Beach in Baton Rouge and one of the brethren there began to preach out as they all got on the buses and said God's judgment is upon that party and if you go out there you're under the judgment of a holy God and at that party in the first five minutes a young man went down a water slide and broke his neck and uh, in that in that accident, the fear of God fell on uh, several people, and more got born again. And uh, all these young people that came to the church, so, you know, they began to wonder, well, what do we do now on Friday night? What do we do on Saturday night? We used to go out, and we used to, you know, be in the world and enter into sin. And so they just, uh, on their own, without, uh, I say on their own, by the Spirit of God, the young men began to take their guitars out and they just went up to McDonald's and stood on the hood of their car and they made up these songs. And I remember one of them was Stop That Sinner, You'll Go to Hell. That was one of the songs they uh, made up. And uh, they began to preach. And uh, the young lady said, well, what do we do? And they all met at one of the uh, young ladies' house and they all prayed for three and four hours. And they were praying for the young men as, as they went out and preached. And for long on 3rd Street in Baton Rouge years ago was nothing but sodomite bars. And uh, those young men, 14, 15, 16 years old, some of their parents were drug addicts and just uh, drunkards and people that didn't even, you know, uh, take any oversight over their children. And they were going down there and opening the door to these sodomite bars and standing in the door, in the doorway and preaching and uh, being threatened or whatever. And the associate pastor found out about it and heard about it. And he didn't want to quench their fire, so he went with them. When he went with them, they beat him 
on Third Street. And the next week, he went back on Sunday morning and testified to the church. Seventy, seventy men were out there the next week. And that's how that street ministry was revived because of the zeal of some young people. Amen. And I'm not suggesting that the young people should lead. I'm just saying this. You can make a difference if you will press into God. I believe it was Brother Greer that testified one time that Charlie and several of the young men that uh, came with him when they went to Brother Greer's church, that, uh, you know, the, the, uh, they, they benefited from his experience. They benefited from his pastoral wisdom, but he benefited from their zeal and he was stirred by that young zeal that wanted to do something for God. I can remember when I was young, lots of times we didn't always share everything with the older folks because we didn't want them to tell us not to do it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I'd rather have some of that, some of you uh, coming up with some, you know, uh, uh, uh kind of strange maybe marginal ideas to do something for God rather than, you know, have someone say nothing. Amen. We always had some idea. Let's let's go into the Bill Meyer. Let's pay to get in there. Five, five or six of us, each one of us will have a scripture. And every time he stands up to say something, one of us will stand up and preach as long as we can preach and disrupt it. And then they'll haul us out. That'd be something we'd come up with. We might tell the pastor, he might say, well, I think y'all just better stay out. Amen. But, you know, listen to me. We wanted to do something for God. Something for God. And if we will press press in and seek God, I believe he will stir us in this way. We cannot expect our wives. We cannot expect our children to pray earnestly and fervently if we refuse to lead and to give the example. Amen. And that's why I'm saying, young men, You're no longer children. You're growing into manhood. And you need to take that yoke upon you and begin to press in and press through that God would begin to use you. Secondly here, the obligation to pray is universal. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. When the Holy Ghost uses the term everywhere, I don't believe he means merely in proximity. No, no, but in every generation, under every situation, men are obliged to set the example in prayer, to be the spiritual leaders of their home, to be the spiritual leaders, amen, uh, in their marriage. I'm not simply saying that, you know, you're the one who calls the shot, but rather that you have the mind of God, you have the word of the Lord, you have been with Jesus, that your wife and your children who know you best and observe you more, more intimately than anyone else can say with surety, he is a man of prayer. He is a man that knows God and walks with God and I am confident in his spiritual leadership. Amen. We must have the mind of God. We must be filled with the Holy Ghost and we cannot be filled with the Holy Ghost if we're not daily praying through. Amen. To a baptism, a fresh baptism. This was not an admonition merely to Timothy or to men who constituted the first century church. No men everywhere Yesterday, today, until the end of time, must see their obligation to lead in the spiritual exercise of prayer. 
This is self-evident because God has chosen men to lead. And yet how dangerous are those who are called to lead but who fail to pray? In fact, could there be anything more dangerous than prayer, prayerless leadership at any level? Could there be anything more dangerous than that? A prayerless leader? We tremble at the thought of a prayerless pastor, don't we? We warn others. If I told you I'm, I'm, I'm through praying, be time for you to leave, wouldn't it? Be time for you to exit here, find another church. All I have to say is that's it. I'm through praying. That's legalism. I'm not seeking God anymore. Just read the Bible. Amen. Just God will give me something to say, but I'm not going to pray any longer. You'd say, huh, we need to get out of here. This place is soon, amen, to degenerate. Amen. So we tremble at the prayerless pastor. We warn others of lying, prayerless preachers who commonly destroy souls in this hour. We're constantly warning others of men who we know are prayerless. Sadly, we're reaping the spiritual whirlwind of generations of prayerless presidents and prayerless legislators. And yet how many of us here this morning, as we sheepishly blush, reward our wives and children and the younger saints around us with prayerless examples? Amen. Maybe we think too highly of ourselves. You know, we're no different than Mr. Obama. We're no different than, you know, TBN. The reason, if anyone were to ask any of us, what's the problem with preacher example A? Oh, he's not praying. What's example, what's the problem with this false prophet and this false teacher? What's the root cause, you think? He doesn't know God, doesn't pray, doesn't seek God. What's the example, uh, or what's the, the, the problem, the root problem with this backslider here? Well, someone that used to walk with God and now who is living and preaching totally different. What do you think the problem is? Well, obviously, they left the altar. We know this is true for everybody. But do we know it's true for us? And listen to me. We don't believe it's true just because we say it's true. Amen. We only believe it's true if we act like we believe it's true, which means we refuse to be prayerless. Praying men are God's chosen instruments to govern, lead, and protect the body. This is confirmed because it's been God's habit to overlook the prayerless and to always use praying men. Whatever other graces or gifts such men have, the gift and grace of prayer towers above them all. And whatever else they may share or differ in the gift of prayer, they are one. What would God's men, what would they be throughout history without prayer? Think of some of the, you know, the, the individuals that were prayer warriors that displayed even the ministry of prayer like none other. Think about Abraham. Silence Abraham's prayers and he's a wandering, confused and fearful vagabond leaving the fortunes of his posterity to chance and fate. No praying Abraham, then no nation of Israel is going to come from his loins with a universal blessing. At least not through him. Amen. God's 
God's going to have his will and he's going to accomplish, amen, his plan, but not through the prayerless, amen. Strip Moses of his power in prayer and the crown is taken from his head. The food and the fire of his faith are gone, amen. And Israel remains bound in Egyptian bondage until God can raise up a suitable deliverer. Think of Elijah without his praying would have neither record nor place in the divine annals of time. The Jordan would have never yielded to the stroke of his mantle, nor would the stern angel of death honored him with the whirlwind chariot and the horses of fire. And so it is, prayer has always set those who were called, amen, to lead apart. And you see, don't think just in the terms of ministry, amen, because all of us have a place of leadership somewhere. And you as men, amen, you were called to lead. Amen. We would never dream that people through the Bible, if if I told you these men are going to refuse to pray, these men would have uh, refused to build an altar. Well, then God is soon not going to be using them. They're going to fall into error. Amen. There's going to be a spiritual repercussions for their disobedience. Amen. And their indifference to intimacy with God. We know this is true for everyone but we make the exception for ourselves. When Jesus told Ananias of, Ananias of Saul of Tarsus' conversion, he uncovered the key to a ministry that would shake the known world, a ministry used, amen, to pin two-thirds of the New Testament when he uttered these words, Behold, he prayeth. Behold, he prayeth throughout church history. And in every case, men who influenced their generation were given to the ministry of prayer. Indeed, it has been praying men who have done so much for God in times past. The common threads, when you look at each and every one of them, are these. They were men, and they were men who prayed. They were men, and they were men who prayed. And we in this hour, we are men. And we are men who must believe God. Amen. For help to pray. They are the ones who have won the victories for God. They're the ones who have spoiled God's foes. They're the ones who have set up his kingdom at the very camps of his enemy. And listen, church, there's no other conditions for spiritual success in this day. You know, when we talk about preaching, we know the modern church has forsaken God's methodology in evangelism. There's no other way. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. Amen. To communicate the gospel that men might hear and believe. Amen. But I can tell you this. Amen. Likewise, he has chosen prayer. Amen. And prayer, we must commune with God. And if we do not pray over what we're doing, and if we do not walk with the Lord Jesus Christ intimately, then we cannot and should not expect any spiritual success because it's God's way. The first century, or pardon me, the 21st century church has no release statute to suspend the necessity or the force of prayer. There is no substitute by which God's work can be done and secured. None whatsoever. We must pray or we must die. We must seek God and live or we must remain prayerless or forsake the altar and die. And what is true in general is true for us here at CFF. 
This work begins in earnest, not in the corporate meeting, but in the secret place with God. You see, men, don't, don't come here and then try to stir yourself. You understand? That's not going to work. That's backwards. Now, I'm not telling you to come here and not pray. But if you want lasting a pattern of victory in your prayer life, you're going to have to secure it in secret. Amen. As Jesus said, you're going to have to go in your closet and shut the door and pray to the Father who is in secret. And the Father, amen, will see it. And then he will reward you openly. And finally here this morning, acceptable, enabling prayer always flows from a right relationship with God. Amen. Acceptable, enabling prayer always flows from a right relationship with God. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Now this simply means that true prayer will proceed from a heart of holiness, love, and faith. Or in other words, true prayer is going to happen with those who are right with God. If prayer is not taking place, or if there is a hindrance to prayer, amen, or there is not a prayerful heart, then there is something amiss in the relationship with God. Now, we can learn to pray. I know the the disciples asked Jesus to expound on praying. I'm not saying that we can't grow in the knowledge of God and we can learn from others. But if there is no basic fundamental hunger, amen, to draw nigh unto God, then we are not right with God. And we need to judge ourselves accordingly. And we need to judge our family accordingly. Amen. I see, you know, some of these checking out their thing. I'm not talking about one moment, amen, in a worship service or one moment in a prayer meeting. I'm talking about, you know, a, a, a consistent pattern of these supposed born-again young people that have absolutely no interest in worshiping God or seeking God or talking to God, you're on your way to hell. Don't be deceived! You know, I can look at my children. I just have to watch them through a worship service. You, you can't say, you're not right with God. You can't even sing to God, you hypocrite. Don't claim to be right with Jesus. Don't check out your nails and checking out your feet and the carpet and everything, a daydreaming. And you claim to be right with God, you don't know what it is to be right with God. If you're right with Jesus, there is going to be a hunger to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is going to be a hunger to worship God. Amen. And if you've been born again in your backslid, then preaching like this will prick your conscience. You see, that's the whole issue. You must be born again. I didn't like God either until I got born again. I wasn't interested in the Bible. You're not interested in the Bible? You need to be born again! You don't want to read the Bible? You just 
You don't want to hear the preaching of God's Word. You don't want to sing unto the Lord. You don't want to pray and seek God. Even give it an effort. You're not born again. I'm not going to lie to you. You're lost and on your way to hell. Amen. Listen to me. Even a child is known by their doings. And if these children here, if they're born of God, they're going to want Jesus Amen. They're no different than I was. Amen. And I didn't like God either. You know, you've heard me say it before. Amen. Many times pastoring is trying to beg folks to love a God they don't even like enough to spend an hour talking to him. Amen. They don't have that much like for God. And you're trying to beg people to love God and to obey God. Amen. And that is a frustrating thing. But I can tell you this. Amen. I'm not going to lie to you. There should be that seed of life in your heart. If you were right with God, amen, you may be, you know, drifting. You may be backsliding. You may be growing cold. But when someone says it's time to pray, it's time to press in, it's time to worship of God. You're going to bear witness with that! Indifference is an abomination. I words you hot or cold, but because thou art little. You said I'm going to hell because I don't clap hard. No, I'm saying you're going to hell because you're asleep in the spirit. Again, I'm not talking about a moment. I'm talking about a pattern. I can tell you what, young people, don't play games with God. Amen. If your mind is not on God, if you don't meditate upon God, if there's not a hunger, if you, if you don't bear witness, if you disobey your mother and father, you're a child of the devil. If you do not obey your mother and your father, it's probably Ten Commandments. First promise, first commandment with promise. Mentioned right along with thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You disobey your parents. And par- listen to me, parents. It's more important that you have a right view of what true Christianity is so that you can tell them that they're not right. You have a young person that doesn't want to pray, doesn't want to read their Bible, doesn't obey you uh, uh, as a pattern. Doesn't want to worship God? Don't, don't, don't let them remain in religious deception. Tell them, son, daughter, don't, don't play games. You're not right with God. You need to get born again. When you get born again, amen, you're going to change. Amen. Well, (laughs) when they're raised in church, it's different. You, you were way out in the world, brother, and you were into drugs and drunkenness and all types of gross sin. If they're not born again, they can be raised in this church and they're in all types of gross sin in their heart. 
They're no different. And the most dramatic conversion that ever took place in the New Testament happened to a man that was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. Amen? Wasn't someone way out in the world. He was someone according to the law externally. Amen? That he was someone that was moral. Amen? Someone who would be considered a law-abiding young man. But when he got convicted by the Spirit of God, he saw that even his religious zeal was cold-blooded, calculated murder. Young person, you get born again. You're going to change. There's going to be a change. Just like there was a change in me, there's going to be that change in you. And what you once hated, once what, what you once were indifferent to, what, what you once it, it couldn't hold your interest, it will suddenly be the center point in your life. It will be everything to you. The Word of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, true prayer, amen, it proceeds from a heart that's right with God. A heart of holiness, lifting up holy hands without wrath. Amen. In other words, without bitterness. Amen. Without humanistic or sinful anger or unforgiveness. And without doubting in faith. Amen. You see, listen to me. The the root problem for most churches, amen, and we're no exception, is the lack of genuine conversion in some people. That may mean someone was right, but backslides, or it means they never were right. Amen. You see, the Scripture are clear. Perhaps the three greatest hindrances to effectual prayer is none other than sin, bitterness, and unbelief. Amen. It's fruitless to talk about victorious prayer if we refuse to forsake all sin. Psalm 66 and 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He that turneth his ear from the hearing of the law, amen, even his prayer is an abomination, amen. If there's sin in our life and we refuse to forsake that sin and walk away from it, amen, then we're kidding ourselves to believe that we're going to get a breakthrough in prayer. Somebody say amen. amen. Likewise, if we harbor any unholy anger or bitterness, then our prayers are futile. If we're not right with one another, Amen. If we, if we're, if we're not forgiving, amen, our brothers and our sisters, if we're not forgiving all other individuals, amen, we know Jesus warns you come to the altar and you're cognizant of, uh, your brother having aught. Amen. I believe that works both ways. Obviously you are to go and make it right before you have any business at that altar. Amen. If we're harboring any unholy or sinful wrath, in any way, we're not going to get a spiritual breakthrough. And unbelief is the void left when the very fuel of prayer, which is faith, is missing. If there's unbelief, amen, if we are wavering, if we are doubting, then we're not going to receive anything, amen, from the Lord. But to be more pointed, this actually just teaches us that those who are truly in a right relationship with God will pray. There's going to be prayer. And whenever there is no prayer or prayer is grossly neglected, then there is something wrong in the relationship with God. Something has happened. 
Something has broken the fellowship. Amen. And when people can't find a breakthrough and they cannot find grace to pray, then perhaps, and again, I, I'm not trying to uh, inspire a witch hunt, amen, but I'm simply saying if you simply have no interest, if inwardly you take uh, a survey of your inward uh, uh, spiritual state and there's very little interest in God, very little interest in seeking God, very little interest in pressing in or meditating on the Word of God, then it's time, amen, to ask him, Lord, where is the breach, amen, that I can forsake whatever sin or unbelief or or, or, or doubt or unforgiveness, what is it that is hindering the flow of your spirit that I can find my way back into your presence? Those who are right with God, there is going to be at the bare minimum that seed of life, amen, they will be pricked in their conscience when sermons like this are preached, amen, and they can come to the altar and pour out their heart to God, amen. If they, listen to me, if there's nothing between you and God, there should be nothing hindering, amen, the flow of that fellowship. Those who are not, amen, right with God, either through sin, bitterness, or unbelief, amen, they will not pray. No matter what you do, no matter how you tell them, no matter what kind of pressure you put on people, amen, if they're not right with God and will not deal with the issues that separate them from God, amen, you're not going to be able to get them to pray. Not pray truly as according to the Word of God. As Matthew Henry said, you may assume, find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian that does not pray. Let's stand. Praise the Lord. Of course, this word is directed toward men. No music. But we all have an obligation to pray. But specifically here to men. Let us embrace that responsibility. Amen. To seek God in this month at all times. But to set the tone, amen, for this local assembly, for our marriages, and for our family. Let's find an altar. Praise God.
There is no doubt that prayer is a moral obligation and a duty. I do believe we must see it more than that to truly have the victory. I believe those that truly have the victory in prayer understand the privilege. There's far more encouraging things about prayer than there are in the sense of it just being our duty. You know, the endless possibilities of prayer. I mean, nothing shall be impossible to those who would believe. There's always the venue of prayer. And I believe the church, for the most part, hasn't scratched the surface of what, um, you know, could be done if we would just really believe God and pray. But, you know, we do have to see that we have an obligation. That has to be embraced. And that wherever we're at, whether we're young people, whether we're mother, father, whether we're a preacher or not, just as a Christian, we have this moral obligation. And uh, it should be said of us that we are people of prayer. It should be said of this church that this is a what? A house of prayer. You know, when you meet people that are really given to prayer, they don't have to tell you they pray. If you if you have to have someone tell you they pray, they're probably not praying. Any person you've ever met that was a man or a woman of prayer, it was something communicated just by who they were, their spirit. It was the fragrance of Jesus that cannot be mimicked. In fact, if we try to mimic that, if we try to project that we're men and women of prayer when we're not, it's going to be a stench. It's actually going to be repulsive. Amen? But when you meet someone who has spent time with God, you know it. It's just something that's communicated. And that really, that's what we should aspire to. I've met all types of people that uh, walked closely with God. I've met people that were very intelligent, that were very eloquent, and, uh, and they were very prayerful people. And they were, you know, whatever giftings and abilities they may have, you know, under the anointing would have been magnified. But above everything else, you're, you're just, you're communing with someone who communes with God. And you're compelled. It convicts you. I've been with people who are very simple-minded, very just country folk that uh, walked very closely with God. Maybe not very eloquent, not very educated. It didn't matter. You knew, here's someone who walks closely with Jesus. And I think that's the highest thing that we can attain to, the highest thing that we really should seek to attain to, that when someone fellowships with us or comes in contact with us, that uh, they would be, they would leave and they would say, there's a man, there's a woman that walks with Jesus. Amen. And if we do walk with Jesus, then we will communicate that. Amen. Praise God. May it be so among us. May it be so. Praise the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for the truth. Help us this month. I believe you're going to help us. I believe you're going to pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, give us ears to hear. And Father, let us fall prostrate and humble. We need to be broken. We do need you, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that you would deal with us, not just here when we assemble, but 
Lord, all day and every day and in the night hour, Lord, that you would draw us unto yourself. Let this be a season of brokenness and humility, Father God. I pray, Lord, for the dealings of your Spirit, that our ears be circumcised, that we may hear what you are saying to us in this hour. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Come back tonight ready to seek the Lord at 6 o'clock. Hug someone as you go. We'll see you this evening.